Go ahead and turn in your Bibles. We are not in Judges today, and probably a few of you are, are, are breathing a sigh of relief. We are going to be in the book of Hebrews today, though, so turn your Bibles to Hebrews. We'll be reading chapter 1, verses 5 through 14. This is God's holy inspired word. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today I've begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Let's pray. Father, we ask you for your help this morning. God, we ask that we might see your son for who he is, that we might see Jesus so we might have even more hope in your son. God, open up our eyes, open up our hearts and minds. Fill us with your spirit, we pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, sometimes, not always, but sometimes comparison can be very helpful. If I was to tell you that the next quarterback for Clemson or South Carolina was better, better than Trevor Lawrence, you might have hope for either one of those teams. If I was going to tell you that your favorite NBA team, that their shooting guard was better than Michael Jordan, you would have hope for that team, even if it was the Nuggets. If your NFL team, even if They're the lowest of the low. If I told you that they had a quarterback coming next year who's better than Tom Brady, you would think there's hope for that team. Bringing it home, if maybe an art critic came and they saw your kids' doodlings on your refrigerator and they said, your five-year-old's art has more promise than Michelangelo, you'd have hope for them. It's probably unrealistic, but you might have hope for them. Or maybe their science teacher said, they're so brilliant. Your six-year-old is such a genius that they're going to be greater than Isaac Newton. Or they have mathematical skills that surpass Einstein. There would be hope for your children. Or if Simon Cowell heard a recording of you singing in the shower. And he said, you've got a voice that's better than Adele or Lauren Daigle. You might have hope. It would change your outlook. It would change your perspective. Comparison can be helpful because comparison is a means for us to understand and to have hope. 
In this passage that we have in Hebrews, the author here is using comparison. And he's using comparison to give us hope. And he, he uses a means of comparison that might not be as familiar to us today, but he uses a means of comparison as angels as compared to Christ, angels compared to Jesus. Now for a lot of us today, angels are seen as these relatively benign, tame creatures. Angels are by no means tame. They are by no means small. Angels are, are powerful. They, they dominate. They are, they are spoken of as God's powerful messengers, as dominions, as powers, as authorities. The Jews would have been familiar with it because it was in their own history. Angels are mentioned over 100 times in the Old Testament, over 160 times in the New Testament. And sometimes they appear as these flaming messengers of light. They, they blind those who see them. At other times they appear as men and then they ascend in a flame of fire as we saw last week in the story of Samson. Sometimes they appear as these incredible winged creatures and they're beyond our comprehension. They have four faces and they have sets of wheels and eyes all around and, and, and six sets of wings and, and it's really mind-boggling. At times the exploits of angels are unveiled in Scripture and we see that they were the ones who stopped all of the armies of Egypt from pursuing the Israelites. God sent an angel before them to be a pillar of fire by day. The one angel caused the walls of Jericho to fall. Angels struck down the armies of the Philistines. And when God sinned, when David sinned against God, God sent an angel and 70,000 were wiped out. In 2 Kings 19, a single angel of the Lord went and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. Angels were fearsome. And, and the people that the author of Hebrews is writing to would have understood. In their context, the greatest creature, the greatest being they could think of, that they would have been familiar with, that at times people in their own history had seen were angels. And so the author of Hebrews uses that to say that Jesus, he's far greater than that. Jesus is more powerful, he is more exalted, he is more glorious, he has, he has an even greater appearance than even angels. In Luke 2, 9, when the shepherds, these fierce, rough men, when they were out in the fields watching sheep, they were used to defending against bandits, they were used to defending against wolves and lions and bears and these rough men out in the field, they saw a single solitary angel appear to them and they all were greatly afraid. And the author of Hebrews says, Jesus, he's greater. He's even greater than that. And why does he do that? He does that because he wants the reader to have hope in Jesus as greater. He compares them to angels because angels are far lesser, and so he wants us to have hope in Jesus. And this morning, that's our intent as well, is to see from Scripture why Jesus is greater. Because we need that hope. We forget, we lose hope. We put our hope in lesser things. We put our hope in things that fail. We lose perspective each and every day. Whether that be in our own battle against our own 
indwelling remaining sin or whether that be in the evil forces around us or whether that be in economics or whatever reason you have today for a loss of hope we want to bring perspective the perspective of scripture that Jesus is greater and because he's greater we have hope whether or not you think of angels very much they're impressive but Jesus is far more impressive And it matters because if we know who we're hoping in, it will sustain us each and every day when we're challenged, when we we have amnesia. And so the author of Hebrews reminds us, he says, Jesus is superior to angels. And he gives us at least four ways he's superior to angels. And the first way that we see that Jesus is superior to angels is that he is God's son. Angels are not God's son. Jesus is God's son. And because, because Jesus is God's son, we have hope as God's children. That's the thing that we need to see. This comparison is meant to see that because Jesus is greater than angels, because he is God's son, we have hope as God's children. We don't hope in someone lesser. We hope in someone who is God's very own son. Last week we looked at how Samson, he was prophesied about by an angel. An angel came and he appeared to Manoah and he appeared to his wife and told them about the fact that they would have a son. She had been barren and they would have a son and and he would begin to save Israel. And yet we will see in the next few weeks after Christmas that Samson would disappoint. And you think, wow, wait a minute, what maybe... Maybe Samson is going to be the final one, the one who will deliver God's people once and for all, but he's not that final deliverer. He's just the one who will begin to save Israel. And in Israel's history, they would have been familiar with that motif, this this narrative of, of children being prophesied by angels coming to those who were barren. And there's seven times in all of Scripture. And in the last time in all of Scripture, the final one that we see who's prophesied by an angel to a woman who was incapable of having children because she was not yet married, was Mary, the mother of Jesus. So Jesus is the culmination. He is the final one. In all of these instances, all throughout Scripture, all of these prophecies, there was covenantal hope being vested in the child. There was covenantal hope being vested in Abraham, the father of many nations, but his wife Sarah was barren. She was 90-some years old. Just that alone would have been impossible. And yet this promised Isaac, the son of the promise, through whom all the nations would be blessed, and then we see that Isaac wasn't the culmination of Israel's hopes. And then Isaac, he marries. His wife is barren as well. He's promised. She's promised that the the younger would rule over the older, the older would serve the younger, and that their promised covenant would come about through them, and you think, wow, this is awesome. And then you see Jacob, who was also called the deceiver, the manipulator, the one who lied about his own birthright, stole from his brother. And then you see that our hopes are not really pinned on, on that son either. Then it, it doesn't stop with that. Not only Jacob's barren wife, Rachel, she had a son 
several sons, her third son was Joseph, who was used to rescue God's people. And you think, well, maybe, maybe this is the ultimate rescuer, and yet, no, because his people stayed in captivity. And then you see Samson, who begins to save. Later on, we'll hear of Hannah in Samuel. She was promised by God that he would bring about someone who would bring about the final covenantal king, David. And yet David failed. And then it was prophesied that a son would come that would reign forever, that would sit on David's throne. And so we see that Jesus is this final covenantal son. He's the one who all the scriptures look forward to, all of the hopes of some son to be born to rescue. And Jesus is that son who was born to rescue, born to save. The ultimate deliverer. All the book of Judges, they look forward to deliverers, but yet every deliverer fails, except this deliverer is perfect. This deliverer is not just a perfect human, but he was God himself, God the Son eternal, now born as a perfect human. The ultimate deliverer, mighty to save now and forever. He's quoting here in Hebrews, Psalm 2, 7. Psalm 2, 7 says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a port, the potter's vessel. And the author of Hebrews says, this Jesus, he is this son. This Jesus is the same one that when he came up out of the waters of baptism in Mark 1, 1 11, saying, God said to him, today you are my son. With you I am well pleased. And the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is even greater because he's not a created being. He's not created. He's begotten but not created. He's, he's co-eternal with God, always of the same essence. He's, he's begotten in the sense that he's the same essence of God. He shares the exact same nature as God. He is co-equal, co-eternal. He was always God's son, and then he entered into our existence, and he learned as a earthly son and then he actually earned the right as an earthly son to be called the son of God and so in every way Jesus is far greater than the angels and he's a son who is forever that's what the author of Hebrews quotes from 2 Samuel 7 he says I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son and then in verse 16 of 2 Samuel 7 he says and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me your throne will be established Forever. This is a forever son. He's greater than an angel because he's co-equal with God. He's greater than the angels because he's co-eternal. He has the same essence as God. You see, angels are, creature, are creatures. The son of God is the creator. And he says he's greater than the angels because the angels worship him. Now, if you can imagine whoever is greatest in your mind coming and giving you praise... That would elevate your own estimation of yourself. If someone who you think of as is absolutely the most brilliant person you ever know is saying, no, you, Betty, you, you Sam, you're, you're, you're smarter than me. There would be a comparison there. And he says, Jesus is far greater because the angels, these awesome messengers, these 
beings who convey the very words of God, who who can smite 185,000 at once, who are like light. They're so bright that it's blinding. He says, Jesus is far greater. He's the son who the angels worship. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the one who is over all. I love to, to visit the Biltmore estate right outside of Asheville. Built by George Vanderbilt. He was the son of William Vanderbilt, grandson of Commodore Vanderbilt. His sonship meant something. It meant that he inherited some of his wealth from his father and he built that wealth. And then when he died, he turned over all of his wealth to his daughter Cornelia. Being a child means something. It means that you have the inheritance of your parents. It means that, that you have all of the value, all of the worth, all of what that parent has earned is given to you. And in a sense, we are, we're not just God's children. We're begotten of God by Christ. We're, we're made new creations in Christ Jesus. And because of that, because of who we are and who we've been made to be in Christ, we now inherit all of the things that the Son inherits, that belong to Him, that by nature the Son has a right to. And so for us, because Jesus is the Son, it means something to us. It means that we have a right to all of the inheritance of Christ. All of the riches that belong to him now because we've been made new in him, because he's, he's created us in him, we've been made children of God through him, we actually have access to all of the inheritance, all of the riches of Christ. It means something that because God is his son, because uh, <laughs> Jesus is God's son, it means something for us as his sons and daughters. Christ became a son to bring, it says, many sons to glory. Jesus was born to save us, to make us children of the Father. And what does this mean for us? It means the hope of belonging to God's family. It means the hope of complete acceptance before God. Maybe you struggle with a sense of belonging today. Because Jesus is God's son, and we are his children through him, it means we're completely accepted. We completely belong. No matter if you feel like you belong to any other human institution, you belong in God's family. You belong in his throne room before his presence if you have been born again in him. It means we have a hope of an inheritance. It means something that Jesus is greater, that he's the son of God. Not only is Jesus superior to the angels because he's the son of God, he's also superior to the angels because he rules justly forever. Angels, they serve. They're ministers. They are servants. They are agents of God. They're sent out. And they're powerful. They're mighty. They're like winds. They're like flames of fire. Think about the force of, of hurricane winds. Think about flames of unquenchable fire. And angels are said to be like that. And yet Jesus is even greater because he rules with the, the scepter of God. He rules with God's scepter at God's right hand. That's how the author of Hebrews depicts Jesus. He's far greater than the angels. He, in fact, is the one who sends out the angels. He sends those messengers that are like 
the winds. He sends those messengers like the flames of fire. Jesus is greater because he's the one who rules over them, who rules with a royal just scepter. He's superior because he reigns in uprightness. He's not made. He made them. It says in verse 8, but of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. You see, there was a point in time, or before time, in our understanding, that, that angels were created. But no, that is not true of Jesus. Jesus is greater because it says, Your throne is forever. You forever ruled, you forever reigned, and you have a scepter of uprightness, which is the scepter of your kingdom. Jesus is reigning and ruling. He is far greater than the messengers he sends out in his kingdom. He is the ruler of the kingdom. And he doesn't fail. He doesn't falter in his rule. He's completely upright. He's completely just in all of his ways. And he actually was completely just in all of his ways when he was here on earth as well. That means there's hope for us. There's hope for us that in every way, Jesus was completely right in all that he did. And then he earned all of the rightness to stand before God and how he has rightly given that to us and is just that we receive his righteousness. That we can stand boldly now before the throne of grace because he is the one who is ruling and reigning because he has earned all of our righteousness. So now we can stand before him. And what that means for us is that there's no area where we are unqualified to come before God because he's completely righteous and he's given his righteousness to us. It means that we're fully pleasing to the Father in every way. If you put your hope in Christ as your righteousness, then it means that you are fully pleasing to the Father in every way. Even though we continue to sin, our righteousness is already secured by the one who rules his kingdom with his just scepter. It means that we can have hope that we will be finally and fully made righteous in actuality. It also means that there's hope for justice. There is no wrong he will not right. That's what it means that he is ruling justly over all things, ruling righteously. There's no wrong he will not right. Maybe not here in our lifetime, but there is no wrong that will not be put right one day in him. There's hope in the fact that Jesus is superior, that he rules justly. There's also hope in the fact that Jesus is the creator, the, the really the everlasting creator and because Jesus is the everlasting creator, we have hope in his ability for us. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Jesus is greater than the angels because he created them. Jesus is greater than the angels because he created all things. And not only that, Jesus never wears out. He never goes away. He never gets old. He never tires. And because Jesus is the everlasting creator, we have hope in his ability to create us. We have hope in his ability for us. My children, they love to create all kinds of things with Legos. They are always making new things, creations, creatures, vehicles, some weird castles, and all kinds of things they, they make with Legos. And the reason they're able to do that is because they have power over those Legos. They're able to arrange those parts however they want. They're able to, to think of something and, and create that something that they think of because they have power over those Legos. They have authority over those Legos. They have ability to do with the Legos what they will. For us, it's hard to think about being a creator because everything we do is actually we use something else. 
and we kind of assemble it together. But Jesus is not like that. Everything has come about through him and by him. By his word, it says, the heavens were created. By his word, he, he spread out the heavens. He created the earth and all that's in it. Jesus himself is the eternal creator. The author of Hebrews says he's far greater than an angel. An angel never created anything. But Jesus, he created the angels. Creatorship implies ownership. It's important for us to see that Jesus is the creator because Jesus is the one who owns all things. All things belong to him. It implies power. Jesus has power over all things. He has authority over all things. He can assemble all things as he wills. He upholds all things. He's able to do what he wants. We don't hope in any feeble, mere human. We hope and Jesus, the creator, who's able to do all, who's above all, who has authority over all. And it implies a superiority. Not only that, he's an everlasting creator. He's not a creator that came about one day because that would imply somebody has authority over him. No, he's, he's a creator who's always had authority. And he's not a creator that's going to go away. He's a creator that's going to outlast, in fact, all of creation. It says that creation to him, it's just like a garment, now, I don't know about you, but I, I, I don't find it very difficult to go into the closet, to get some clothes out, to take the clothes off that I have on, to put new clothes back on again. I don't find that very hard. And it speaks of Jesus in, in those kinds of terms. The whole creation, it's just as easy for Jesus to change creations as it is for us to change clothes. It's just as easy for Jesus to do away with all of this old creation that's been corrupted and put on a brand new creation as it is for us to change clothes. And there's hope in that because it means that Jesus is able to recreate us. He's able to remake us into his image. He's able to make us like him. He's able to, to give us new life and new birth because he has authority and power and ability. Everything has been built by him. We can trust in him. Maybe you struggle today with trusting in Jesus and trusting in his power. Oh, he's greater than the angels. He's the creator. Everything in this world, it won't last, by the way. But Jesus, he'll last forever. This whole world's gonna, gonna wear out like a sweater that gets holes in it and you throw it away. You roll it up and you chuck it out. You put it in the hamper, maybe. Jesus will never wear out. Everything else wears down. He doesn't wear down. We need something to, to lash our hopes to. Jesus entered into his creation, but he is greater than creation. We have a hope that will last forever. That's why it's important for us to see that Jesus is greater than the angels because he's the creator, because he's going to last forever. There's a hope that can keep us faithful to the end. There's a hope that can remake us. There's a hope that can change every area that you feel hopeless in. You ever feel hopeless and your own inability to change? You ever feel hopeless and despair? Maybe you're discouraged or depressed and you see there's no way out. And in yourself, you're right. There's no way out in yourself, but there is a way out in him because he's the creator. He can make all things new and that's what he does. It means we have hope. There's nothing dead he can't make alive. Hope that there's no area he can't give growth to. And then we see not only is he superior to the angels because he's the creator, he's superior because he's the ultimate victor. 
Jesus is superior because he's the ultimate victor. And because Jesus is the ultimate victor, we have hope in his victory for us. Because Jesus is the ultimate victor, we have hope in his victory for us. The question is, do you? Do you know him as your victor? Do you see him as your victor? Do you have hope in him for yourself? When I was a kid, um, me and a few of my friends liked to watch WWF. I don't know, it's called WWE now, I think. And I loved to watch Hulk Hogan. He was the epitome of a victor in the ring. He was this huge guy, and he was always pinning all of his opponents until they would tap out. And, and there's this, this scene I have of him just locking somebody in a headlock, laying down, and just sitting there, and he's grinning. And he, he's complete dominance over them. And, and the picture that we have here is that Jesus is the ultimate victor over all of his enemies, even greater than whatever you can imagine in your own head. He's the ultimate victor. He says, to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Jesus sits back and he props his feet up on all of his enemies. In ancient times, the victor would put their foot on the neck of their enemy to symbolize their complete dominance. That they completely put down the authority. They had their head under their foot. All the authority of the enemy had been put down. It had been completely subdued. There was no power left in that enemy. And God says to Jesus that he makes all of his enemies a footstool for him. He says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Now, we might not yet see that because in, in our time, in our place, how we live in our experience, we don't see that all of the enemies have been put down. And yet God says that one day we will see the fulfillment of that. All of his enemies will be like a footstool, completely done away with all power, all authority, not just taken away, but completely defeated, completely put down, with Jesus sitting back, resting his feet on them. I grew up in Virginia. The flag there says Six Semper Tyrannus. It means thus always to tyrants and it has a picture of the victor with their head on the enemy. Their, their foot on the enemy's head. And it just shows this complete, this idea of complete dominance. Jesus will dominate every tyrant. Every enemy. He's already conquered and taken away all their powers and one day he will completely subdue and put them away so they no longer raise their ugly heads again. No other being is qualified to sit at God's right hand. Angels aren't qualified. But Jesus, he's qualified to sit at God's right hand. In a place of honor like any, unlike anyone else. And the Son will have complete victory of all of his enemies. Angels, they're simply ministering spirits sent to... I love what it says, though. It says they're, they're to serve. He says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Now, who is that those who inherit salvation. That's us. That's us. So Jesus has authority, and he has authority over all, and he is the victor, and he's also the victor who has command of angelic armies, and he sends them out, shockingly, to serve us. That's why we have hope. It means there's hope and despair. The fact that he's the victor means there's hope over any disease. 
The fact that he's a victor means that there's, there's hope in sickness. It means that there is hope over sin. It means there is hope even over death. It means that he'll completely destroy the devil. It means that no, there's no area of sin that he has not already put down that he doesn't have authority over. There's no weakness in your life that's too great for him. He is the victor, the ultimate victor. There's no adversary Jesus will leave alive. You know, we domesticate Jesus sometimes. And, and when you're tempted to domesticate Jesus, we need to compare him. Compare him to angels. Compare him to all of creation. He's greater than all. He wasn't merely a good man. We don't celebrate Jesus the good man at Christmas. We don't celebrate that he is an excellent moral teacher, a good moral example. We don't celebrate that he was a noble person who died for a noble cause or even died just for his friends. He wasn't merely a wise sage. He wasn't just a loving, tolerant man either. He was all of those things, but that would be far too small. And that's where comparison's helpful. You see that, no, Jesus, he's far greater than our reduced view of him. He's far greater than, than the greatest angelic beings, the cherubim, the seraphim, whatever you can imagine of these angelic beings. Sometimes Christmas doesn't help that. Jesus can just be seen as the baby in the manger, but he didn't remain that. And even as the baby in the manger, he upheld all things as the creator. My kids know that I hate Santa Claus. I, I hate Santa Claus. Sorry, if you like Santa, I'm sorry for you. <laughs> I won't condemn you. I'm not being legalistic about it. Feel free to enjoy Santa on your lawn. But this generally benign grandfatherly figure who flies around sneaking into homes and giving out presents to those who've earned it, the ultimate legalist who makes a list and checks it twice, to ensure you've been nice and not naughty is not hopeful. Because I really can never be completely nice and not naughty. And I know that and you know that. This, this mythical creepy figure in the songs, he says he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake. How creepy is that, by the way? Um, he knows you've been good or bad, so be good for goodness sake. How manipulative this mythical feature is. Jesus is not like that. He's far greater. Don't lessen him. Don't let your view of Christ be lessened in this season. See Christ, who's comparatively greater than the angels. Greater than whoever you can think of, your superhero, Captain Marvel, Thanos, whatever you, whatever you can think of. But the difference is Jesus is no myth. He's real and he's not small. He's not a man to be ignored. He's not merely man. He's not even merely an archangel. archangel. He's, he's, he's the son of God. He's the creator. He's the just ruler. He is the, the one who is over all things, whose throne will never end. He's the sovereign one in charge of the angels, to whom angels bow down. Listen, our world may fall apart, and in fact, it will fall apart one day. We're promised that. One day it'll be changed like a garment, but Jesus is over all. He's the creator, the unchanging creator of the universe, and he's the one who 
will one day put all of his enemies under his feet. That's the picture of Jesus we have. Greater than the angels. Superior. And because he's God's son, we have hope. Because he rules justly forever, we have hope. Because he's the ultimate creator, we have hope. Because he's the ultimate victor, we have hope. The question for us is, where is our hope? Don't forget where our hope is. Because Jesus is greater, we have hope for life eternal. Amen? Let's pray and then we'll have the band go up and come up and we'll sing. Father, thank you for giving us this portrait of your son, this portrait of Jesus who is greater than all others. God, I pray that we would realign and readjust where our hopes are, that we would see that, Jesus, you're greater than any challenge we face. You are greater than any weakness. You are greater than any sin. Jesus, you are greater than any problem we confront. You are greater than any illness we have. You are greater than death itself. Lord, you are the creator of all. You are over all. And will we look to you for hope? I pray that you would breathe fresh hope in each and everyone here this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing.